to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster recovery, business continuity, wellness, COVID, emergency management, anything that helps you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Alex Fullick there. I'm easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get couple of quick announcements. Uh, yep. Yeah. Uh, the continuing resilience today. I was looking at the wrong page there. I almost said the wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> continuity, oh. continuity resilience today conference, November 16th and 17th in Toronto. I will be there broadcasting live with my colleague, James Green. Uh, look for us. Uh, hopefully you'll attend that conference and uh, my guest will actually be there today. And, um, or shouldn't say today, will be there for the conference on mm-hmm. those days. So it'll be great to see her again. And November 2nd and 3rd, I will be co-presenting a keynote speech with Margaret Millett at the BCI conference in London, England. So I'm looking forward to going home for a little while and visiting family. Now, I mentioned CRT. I'm After three plus years, I guess it's been, uh, I will be able to see Regina Phelps. Regina, yes. welcome back. Oh, Alex, I'm so excited. I'm going to be able to see you for real instead of this Zoom thing we've been doing for a long time. It a seems. long time. <laughs> I must have been DRJ in uh, uh, September of 2019. That was it. That was the last time. <laughs> you know, and now we're in September. You know, right now we're recording September, uh, you know, 2022. So, right. you know, it's been quite a while. It has been quite a while. In fact, we just had DRJ. You did, yeah. It was great. Yeah, I wish I could have attended that one, but uh, I had a couple of other things I had to to attend to. Otherwise, I'd love to be there. But um, I'm already looking at uh, there's a strong possibility I will be there next year. Oh, great. Uh, I don't know about presenting, but live broadcast again. Sign me up. I'll be uh, talking with uh, James and with Bob Arnold. Hey, shout out to Bob and everyone at DRJ. So uh, we'll see what's going to happen there. That's fabulous. Yeah. Super. Great. So you're back for our September update, and we're going to turn things around uh, this month. Usually we open up and start talking about COVID and smallpox and some of the other things that are going on in the world. And unfortunately, there's so much of that happening. I know. We never get to some of the other things we want to talk about. So we're going to flip it around this this month, and we're going to start with the end. Yes. Yes. And and, and I want to say to all of our listeners who's been listening to us talk about diseases for, oh, I don't know, since April of 2020, probably. It's not that we are thinking, certainly I am thinking, that uh, the pandemic is over and we don't have to worry about it any longer, or for that matter, any of the other diseases I've been talking about lately. 
But it's simply the idea that we spend so much time talking about that, we never get to some of the other interesting things we'd like to chat about. So we thought we would start first with the interesting things, and then with the time remaining, talk about the status of the pandemic, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I think that's going to be our plan of attack. Uh, good, because uh, where we're going to start today, we've already had to drop twice, right? Twice, right. I think. Right. Because yeah. we never we run out of time, we never get to it. Right. I know. It's kind of embarrassing. Like, we're going to talk about this, and then we never talk about it, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and our topic is um, shifting baselines. Shifting now, baselines. Because we never got to it, we mentioned it a couple of times, but never really got to it. Can you refresh our memories? What do you mean by shifting baselines? Oh, what a great lead in. I'm going to start with a deck of slides, of, as of course you know that I like to do. Uh, <laughs> this term actually really came out of the environmental movement. I'd like to say that I was actually a creative person and actually made this up, but I didn't. And essentially, this slide kind of shows pictorially what, what the idea of shifting baselines mean. And if you look at the population of fish, for example, starting on the left-hand side, what you'll see is that uh, as time moves on on a time continuum, there is less and less and less and less. And that's really the genesis of what the shifting baselines idea means, essentially. What it is, is failure to noti- notice change over time. And I have to say that uh, we have certainly seen that in my career, and certainly I'm sure in yours as well. Our firm has been in practice um, since 1982, so this is our 40th year. And I can tell you years ago when I first started my business that there was, you know, there weren't very many crises on a regular basis. But I can recall starting in the early 80s that there were increasingly more earthquakes that started to affect. Uh, There was one in 83, 185, and then 87, and then 89 and 91. Those are all in the western part of the United States. Also, that was Mexico City. And every time there was another one that was like, oh, my gosh, look how terrible this is. And then there were other crises that occurred uh, in the, into the 90s. And of course, we had 9-11. Uh, and then what happened is that since really about 2000, 2001, there have been many hurricanes, earthquakes. In America, we've had thousands of workplace shootings and active shooters and mass shootings. There's been so many things going on that frankly... Every day seems to have something. And so when you think about it, we have kind of been desensitized to the fact that we have so many crises. And that's really something to think about. So this was originally out of the environmental movement. It was coined in 1995, but it actually makes sense for what we do. And now I think what you look at is that we have, we have you know, su- survived the great 100-year pandemic, and yet we have gone through all of these things. And many of my clients are actually saying, okay, well, what else could happen? We are so prepared. We're all ready. Why should we spend any money, any time, any energy on business continuity, crisis management? Because look at what we're doing. We're doing such a great job. And I think what happens is that puts us in a pretty awkward situation. So again, that's kind of the idea pictorially of a shifting baseline. And the question people always ask me is, how does this apply to what we do for a living? And what I would say to all of us is that we need to really think about how our baseline, your executive's baseline, has actually changed. It used to be that one big thing and we would be like, oh, my gosh, lit up. Now what happens is there's been so many things we are kind of worn down. And I think that's certainly been an issue that I've seen in my client population and the places that I work across the world 
Have you seen any of that kind of um, desensitization at all in your work? I think I would be a fool to say no, uh, because with social media now, we get our news 24-7 faster than we ever did before. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we're constantly getting bombarded. And if we responded to everything, uh, either on an emotional level or even community uh, or or, uh, organizational level to everything that happened, we would just drop dead uh, from complete exhaustion and and fatigue and anything else. So I think we have become desensitized. Mm -hmm. It's, oh, what? Oh, another shooting. Oh, another bomb, another natural disaster or something. You know, well, I saw that last week and the week before and the week before. So it just becomes part of a a, a cycle where Mm -hmm. before we had social media, it was a case of you wouldn't hear anything until you picked up the paper in the morning. Right. Or lucky enough to turn on the uh, late night news before you went to bed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But now it's 24 seven. Right. Right. And I think that that does that bombardment of information of crises, even, even when you're not personally impacted, it does not matter. We are just numb to what's going on around us. And I'd like to remind us, it's not just us that has that phenomenon going on. It's also all of the executives in your company and your organization. And remember, they are thinking like, well, hey, you know, we, mm-hmm. we're doing okay. Look at all this stuff that's going on, but we're doing okay. And so I think that's what I'm really trying to raise, raise awareness across our industry. I've done a lot of speeches about this recently. I've done uh, quite a few articles and I'm trying to get us to think about what are we gonna say when our executive essentially asks us, you know, what have you done for me lately? And this gets back to this, you know, this metaphor of how to boil a frog. Have you ever heard of this story? Yes, I did. Yeah. I, from the Big Bang Theory, believe it or not. Ah, there you go. Well, <laughs> see, interestingly enough, it's actually a fable. It's not true. Because if you stop and think about this, okay, a frog, if you put a frog in a nice little frog jacuzzi in a pan, right, with tepid water, and you slightly start, you know, turn it on and it got warmer and warmer. First of all, the frog's not going to hang out there in that pot of water being observed by you. Secondarily, as it gets warmer, they're actually going to notice. They're very sensitive to temperature. And so they don't just sit there in the jacuzzi until they boil to death. But there is a fable that we believe that. But that also actually applies to the kind of work that we're talking about. Because when you boil a frog, technically in the fable, what that means is that you get more and more complacent, more and more used to it. And then all of a sudden something big happens and you are it's too late. You're not paying attention. So mm-hmm. it's a little bit kind of like what I'm talking about. Because when your boss does ask you, what have you done for me lately? That's the key thing where the shifting baselines really comes into play because of this. I don't know about you and your organization that you're working in now, but in my clients across the world, we've had a zillion events as we were just uh, uh, discussing, but yet most of our clients, not counting the pandemic, most of them have not had a major activation in the course of a year, often in the course of several years. So then the executive says, well, we have all these things going on. We have this great program. When was the last time we activated? And you kind of fumble around going like, you know, I don't know. But then how do they, how are they defining activating? Uh, well, that's a great question. Because so, you, you, you have, and we've had this conversation before. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have proper incident management in place and, you know, that are working with your help desk and your book on crisis management and uh, on cyber, all talk about proactively doing things. So right. how are they identifying 
a major event. You could have been helping them for ages. Right. And you know what? The, what the, you get right to the problem because most people describe the work that we do is simply ROI, return on investment. Mm. Return on investment implies that you actually had a major activation and in the major activation, you saved the money. If you're doing a great job of planning and scoping and doing all of that and you prevent it from ever happening, how do you prove ROI? You didn't have an activation. Mm -hmm. And so what my point Mm. is, is that if you build your entire program around a return on investment that you've built out of your BIA, your business impact analysis, looking at your RTOs, if you never really spun it up, how do you begin to justify your existence? Because you can backpedal and say, well, it would have cost that. Well, you don't know that. You don't know how much you would have spent. You don't know what it really would have cost, yeah. right? And You're so. Guessing. You're guessing, and you can't prove that to an executive says, okay, show me, show me what you actually did in this incident. And if you pull out the ROI argument, you have lost because there's no way you can prove that. And so that's really what I'm trying to get people to talk about. Because when you are asked this dreaded question about what the projected downtime was, blah, 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 blah. And people ask you, when was the last time that happened and how much money did did it cost us? You're gonna lose the conversation. And that's really the point I'm trying to make with us is that the work we do every single day is so important. But if you only speak about the work we do in ROI, return on investment, or wow, when the bad thing happens, you'll be glad we have this, you are barking up the wrong tree because that doesn't speak to the value that we provide in our business, in our organization every single day. Mm-hmm. which gets to a whole nother conversation, which is really what I'm always trying to, to get people to think about. Because if you look at the, the traditional ROI definition, it simply means return on investment. And so that is literally how much money did you save based on the outage? You can say, well, we would have spent this much, but you didn't spend that much. So how can you prove that? And I think it's, I want to remind people as the economy gets tighter around the world and many, many um um, uh, countries are fearful about have falling into a recession. I will tell you, having lived through a few of these before in the 40 years I've been in practice, that they're going to look at anything on the, on the um, profit and loss statement, and they're going to point to something like continuity planning, crisis management, whatever, and say, okay, what is this doing for us right now, given the economy and where we can cut costs? It's going to be this, as it has been historically after the, you know, the big recession in 2009, right after 9-11. Uh, before that, there were other incidents in 1982 and 1991. And yeah, this is going to mm-hmm. be like a repeat performance that I'm trying to have our folks avoid. And really what I want people to think about is, the is it the right metric for us to try and prove return on investment? And I want to argue that it's not. Uh, but I have another solution for that, which I think is actually a much better one because of the work that we do. Uh, and that's what this is one of the things that I really want people to think about. There's no way you can demonstrate ROI in a BCM program unless you actually have had a serious outage. And then you can look at the money that would have been lost and how much you spent and how much it was worth. And most of my clients, I mean, I don't know, in your business that you're in right now, have you had actually a big activation where you spun up everything? Not everything, no. There, yeah. There's things that happen regionally. You know, we just had Fiona. 
uh-huh. go through right. on the East Coast. So uh, an office uh, out that way, we knew we were closed, but you're, you're not measuring ROI on that. Mm-hmm. And you're not activating the whole thing. Right. You're just activating a little piece, you know, in, uh, in Nova Scotia and PEI in Newfoundland. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So you had all the plans in place. You did what you need to do. Did it cost you any money? Did you lose any money? Probably the answer overwhelmingly is probably not. No, we didn't. Right, right. So that's that. That's sort of the conundrum that we're in, and so that's why I, I and I and I look at many um, vendors and people that sell stuff in our work, and they're always pushing ROI, and I just think it's the wrong argument. And mm-hmm. and I think what happens is that we are now in a situation where the risk appetite, as we've been discussing, because we have so many things going on, has gotten really large, and that's what the shifting baseline is: is that. It's no longer one little thing that happens. It's many things that happen. And executives and us are all numb to the fact that this is going on. So if we can't really use ROI, which has been sort of the standard in our industry to measure how important our programs are, you know, are there other options? And that's really what I think the issue is, is there are. Yeah. And on that note, let's take a break because I know where you're going to go in our ne- your next couple of sentences. So let's take a break <laughs> here before we jump on that topic. Oh, good. Okay. All right. <laughs> We've come to the end of our first segment. We're talking with Regina Phelps about shifting baselines, and we will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fulick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we're talking with Regina Phelps and we're talking about shifting baselines. Regina, I know where you're going to go in the next little segment, so off Okay, I'm on it. I'm on it. 
So I guess the whole point of my conversation and this whole introduction is really that I think this is a fool's errand for us to be using ROI to measure the the important work we do every day. And that's the key thing is what we do is so important and we have to find a good measurement tool to actually help us tell that story more convincingly. And so what I'm asking all of my clients to do and certainly what I'm asking the industry as a whole to do is to stop and think about things differently and really ask the question, is there a better metric other than an ROI? So I call this a little bit of soul searching because really what I'm trying our industry to, uh, what I'm asking our industry to do is to find a good way to actually be able to demonstrate the value we provide every day because we provide tremendous value. Now, so again, you're thinking, well, you know, what's the definition about this whole thing? So how do we think about recovery differently? How do you deliver, you know, kind of uh, similar results or think about how you develop them differently? Or, you know, the world is changing. We need to have a better definition of what we do, which gets down to something about what I'm asking people to do is think differently. If you think about how we actually in an organization can both in, tie the dollars that are invested into organizational outcomes. So think about, these are all value statements. They're not ROI. Increased resiliency. How can you talk about the competitive advantage that your program delivers every day on? How can you talk about things like an effective staff training and planning processes? How can you think about a more, a more thoughtful business process and development and testing? That is another way of what we talking about what we do. And it's really focused on something that's not ROI. And this essentially is about value. And that's what I'm asking every one of my clients to do. And I'm really asking the industry as a whole to look at this concept of value versus return on investment. Now, there's actually a concept called value on investment. I did not invent this. Gartner did about 20 years ago. And what value on investment does is it looks at intangible assets that contribute to an organization's performance. So things that are not tangible, you can't tie them to a spreadsheet, but yet they have to do with increased knowledge, developments of processes, organizational structure, the ability to be able to collaborate effectively and validate processes. That's what we do, uh, which is not ROI. And so it's very intangible, but super important. And so I would like us to move towards a discussion of value versus return on investment. And so essentially what this means is that shifting this way is going to allow us to really talk about what we're doing and not tying it to this sort of dollar sense thing. Because what we do is that we provide the framework for both scoping and prioritizing and initiating continuity projects. What we do is we are all about resilience. And that is a huge issue. So we can tie that to skills and we can talk to customer satisfaction and competitive advantages and collaborative mm -hmm. training. We can do a ton of stuff, but it's changing the language. And that's what I think is really important. I'm so glad you're talking about this because I was having this conversation over the last couple of days with one client mm -hmm. who want to come up with metrics. And the first thing that came out of their mouth is, well, you know, we can put a checklist together and make sure that everybody has everything. And I just wanted to bang my head against the wall right off the bat. 
you know, BCP, yeah, checkmark, you have one. Crisis management plan, checkmark, you have one. Right. Yeah, that's how we can measure everything. And I went, no, no. No, 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 no. That's and not here you are do. talking about what I was trying to get them to understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like get away from that old style, mm-hmm. traditional, outdated way of thinking. Right. And, uh, I'm, I'm, it, it, I'm pushing not. them towards some of the things you just mentioned. Yep. Funny enough, because they yeah. are in the enterprise risk registry. Mm-hmm. I said, tie that because where does that registry go? And they said, well, that goes to the board of directors and the executives. I said, that's what we have to tie to. Right. Right. Yes. It's not, you know, it is not checking a box. I mean, anybody that wants to hire us to do an exercise, for example, because they want to check the box, it's like, no, 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 find somebody else. Cause I am not a box checker. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, what I do is I deliver on value. <clears throat> that's, and that's a totally different conversation. And this is something that I think we need to really look at. So when you look at VOI, again, these are intangible, right? They're not tangible. They're not like dollars and cents, but they are incredibly important. And what they do is that a VOI approach, I argue, will encourage funding and participation in continuity activities and also lead to the success of them. And that's what we need to look at. So we, by the way, we are not alone in the struggle trying to describe these intangible things that we do. And this is just a list of some of the organizations that actually have the same problem. Things like health services, higher ed, technology, associations. I mean, you know, you belong to an association, you can say, well, gosh, they great, give me great value. They don't give you ROI. They give you great value of connections and building information and making, you know, networks and blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, blah but they don't give you ROI. So what's the selling proposition for an association? It's about the value of the experience, the value of attending, knowing people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not just us that struggle with this. And so what I ask my clients to think about is to really answer essentially three basic questions. What is your program doing right now that provides value? And then what should that BCM program be doing that, that provides value that's not doing right now? And then the ultimate question is, what do we do every single day that provides value to the organization? So when the executive asks you in the elevator, you know, what do you do here? You should not be saying things like, well, wow, when the bad things happen, you'll be really glad I'm here because <laughs> then they're going to ask you, when was the last time that happened, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a bad, that's a bad answer. So the idea is that you should be able to just in a elevator speech, say exactly the value that you provide. And that's really what I want to raise in our uh, discussion here today. And so what I always tell people is, this is my suggestion to all of us in this industry, is develop a whiteboard session with your team. Now you may say, Regina, I'm a BCM person of one. Well, okay, maybe you have other individuals in your company that you could get together with, folks like audit or key uh, business units that you work with, or for that matter, mm-hmm. other colleagues that you could begin to brainstorm about, well, what, what is the value of BCM and what do we provide on a regular basis? And I think that is an important question to peel back and it's worth having a whiteboard session. And for me, what that means is that I always, I've done these with clients. You set up goals for the whiteboard session. You develop kind of a timeline and you make everybody who's coming to the whiteboard session, uh, give them a homework assignment. They ask them to think, well, what value does this program bring? And then when you get together, you want to make sure you've created a great environment for success. I've done a lot of these on Zoom. I've done them also back in the old days when we'd be in a room together. 
And then you want to really sketch out every single idea about what kind of value do you bring? And they're going to all have a different way of looking at this than you. And that's the big plus of mm-hmm. having a lot of brains in a room, right? And especially, you know, you may say, well, gosh, uh, well, who, who would I invite if I'm a one-person shop? I'd invite somebody out of audit. I might invite somebody out of legal. I might invite some key um, uh, business units that I do business continuity planning with. So some of the key lines of business. Uh, and maybe other folks like maybe uh, HR or communications and just have a conversation about what is what is resiliency? What does continuity management bring to the party at our organization and really begin to peel it back? Because I think that's where you're going to get a lot of good ideas that you might not have thought of. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I want to give <clears throat> our I want to give our audience essentially eight things to think about. These are these are eight things to start with that I'm just going to give you that probably you could check a box for every one of these. I'm I'm pretty much guessing. And these are things that I've I've used to jumpstart conversations with my clients in trying to get them to really focus on the issue of value. And so as you go around the circle, you'll see things as obviously contractual obligations and compliance, competitive advantage, brand and reputation protection, risk identification, operational improvement, knowledge capture, increased robustness, and deeper knowledge. And what I want to do just is is um, is just quickly go through these as a as a way that uh, you can begin to think about these things differently. So first of all, regulatory and contractual uh, compliance. Now, many organizations have requirements of which they must either from a regulatory or some sort of compliance standard actually have a BCM program. Uh, here in the states, uh, FFIEC has, uh, for example, Appendix J, which is about outsourced uh, technology or outsourced third-party services. If you're a third-party service and you provide services to a bank in the United States, you must prove that you have a continuity program. So therefore, you're meeting a contractual obligation that you're held to with this customer. But it also could be other kinds of organizations where you have SLAs. And so the SLA says that you have to respond in certain timeframes, you have to provide services or be on site in certain obligations. Your continuity program is going to help ensure that you're able to meet an SLA. And even if you're not required by any contractual or regulatory obligations, you might be trying to do something such as meet the standards of 22301 the ISO standard. Now, most of my clients are not ISO certified, but they actually meet the requirements, but they've not gone through the certification progress uh, pro- process. But that's something that they can point to and say, our continuity program meets, not, not, not certified, but meets the standards of ISO 22301. So regulatory and contractual compliance is a huge selling point for your uh, client relations. Mm-hmm. Are you... Do you have any of those obligations in places that you've been working? Yes. Uh, one of the clients I'm with right now uh, is uh, heading towards meeting the requirements and then um, is looking beyond that to potentially get full certification in a few years down the road. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. yeah, everything you're reading, I'm I'm picturing myself in these meetings right now. <laughs> good, good. I'm, good. I'm glad to hear that. Um Secondly, I think it's a huge competitive advantage. And so for your sales team, or depending on what kind of business that you're in, it allows your organization to point to any new customer or new potential customer and say, look at this program that we have. We have all of these things in place. That means 
that if something happens to us, we are going to be able to meet our contractual obligations to you. And we are a reliable partner. Every organization wants to have a relationship with another organization in which they know that they're going to be able to provide the services that are in their agreements. And especially, I think, with so much outsourcing that you're seeing around the world, uh, you want to know that those people are going to be there. And so organizations prefer to work with a business who has the ability to deliver products and services as agreed to regardless of what's going on, right? A power outage, a hurricane, whatever it might be. So having a comprehensive BCM, including all the things we would expect, you know, IT recovery, business continuity, crisis management, crisis communication, supply chain issues, that's going to make sure that our customers are comfortable and it gives us a competitive advantage because other people, your competitors, may not have Mm -hmm. the same type of program. So it's a huge selling point. It's, of course, huge for protecting your brand and reputation. And I will tell you, in all of my years of practice, every CEO I've ever met, ever talked to, one of the reasons that they want something like an effective BCM program is, frankly, what they lose sleep on at night is a damage to either the rep or brand of the organization. We all know that in some industries, once it's damaged, it's really hard to get back. And there are certain industries that you are dead in the water, like things like insurance or banking or finance Mm -hmm. or investments. Because if you have a bad thing happen and you fail, then your customers are gonna go like, whoa, okay, not doing that again. And so from a brand and rep perspective, it's a huge benefit. And also if the bad thing happens, you have a much better story to tell because you have a process and a plan versus one that has nothing or, 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 or an immature plan at all. And so I think that's a huge advantage that we need to be thinking about. It's interesting you just mentioned that one because I had someone a few weeks ago tell me that their number one priority because of the way things are in the world was mm-hmm. protect the brand and reputation. So I said, well, what does that look like? What do you need? Mm-hmm. He said, well, we got to have BCP. We got to make sure we have this, that, and the other thing and protect our people. And I said, so shouldn't those all come before brand reputation? Because if you don't have any of that, right. you're you not have protecting no- your brand. And right. It's very and they went, Oh, yeah. Oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard to have a rep and brand issue when you don't have any people, or you don't have any technology, or you don't have a place that you can work or recover or any of those things, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yet, I will tell you, it's the number one thing an executive thinks about. And they don't think about, to your point, they don't think about what goes behind that, right? What yeah. what gets you to the point where you can have a secure brand and reputation. And certainly I will tell you, and we've talked about this a lot in the cyberspace when we've had cyber conversations, that what drives most executives to be deeply concerned about things such as ransomware is the impact of the brand and reputation. And that goes back to, again, an effective continuity program. Uh, one of the things that we do very well as professionals is that we are very good at risk identification. And because of that, that means that we can actually get ahead of the game, right? So that means that we actually can do risk assessments. We can look at the risk assessments, look at the facilities, the personnel, the technology, and make sure that based on the risk assessment, doing your hazard risk analysis, that we have the proper mitigations in place in order for that location, that part of business to be able to stay functional when something happens in that risk profile. So our risk evaluation is extremely important and it gives us great opportunities to do lots of stuff in advance. 
you know, so whether you're, you're in a place where that might have flooding or hurricanes, well, gosh, you know, if your data center is in the basement or your data center has servers that are in a really low part of a building, you know, that might be something you want might change or you might want to move those to a higher ground to another floor. Just, you know, common sense stuff, but super important. Right. And that's what mm-hmm. we do a lot of. Right. And again, that allows us that once we actually have the information based on the risk assessment, then you can make proper decisions, proper funding uh, with the data and the awareness of what that risk and what it's actually done. So I think that's a huge benefit that we provide on a regular basis. One of my favorites actually is really operational improvement. And I see this in a lot of organizations when they really dig deep in a business continuity plan. And so you get a lot of awareness from an exercise in particular, a really well-designed exercise will do the most for operational improvement than probably anything. You can actually write a business continuity plan, as many of us have over the years, of course, kind of in a vacuum, right? You're, you're writing it, you know, kind of in a nice office with the lights are all on, everything's good. And it's hard to really imagine what it would be like when the bad thing happens. But if you have a really great exercise and you put people through that kind of misery of being able to see what would actually happen you can actually get incredible operational improvements because then they go like, oh my gosh, you know, I thought that was going to work, but it would never work. And then you can actually begin to really improve things uh, accordingly. So the whole concept of planning uh, is going to really create opportunities that's going to really provide operational improvements. I see that in particular when we do cyber exercises. Pardon me. And there's three things that I call out in every cyber exercise that we do that can lead to profound operational improvements. And the first one has to do with the issue of, if you look at a business continuity plan, is there anything there for sustained technology outage, meaning exceeding the RTOs, right? And overwhelmingly, I would tell you, until I started bugging our clients, I've never seen that, ever, Like, what do you do when you don't meet your RTO? Well, I don't know. I never thought about it. Yeah, right. Yeah, you haven't. So an operational improvement is, what do you do if you don't get your technology back? What are some of the options? What are the workarounds? So that you're not sitting there with a blank piece of paper during a ransomware attack trying to figure out how do you continue the business when you have nothing? Mm -hmm. That is a huge issue. The second is, what do you do if you've lost data? So... I don't know. And do any of your plans have that? What would you do if you actually lost data? Uh, if there was a ransomware attack and they went back to their backup and you lost three days of data? Um, there are some contingencies that I've written over the years <clears throat> and I'm actually writing them into uh, a current BCP right now. Very good. And it's uh, um, you identify <clears throat> you, some of the things you can do is contact who you would have been sending files to over the last few days to find out what they did receive what they should have received and getting them to give you copies of that mm-hmm. and send uh, things back so you can start rebuilding and create uh, recreating um that's one of the big things you know mm-hmm. is if you if you have if that's what you're doing with your data and sending it back and forth to different groups find out who isn't impacted and try and get as much of that back so you can recreate where you were mm-hmm. because out of those three days you lost you may only lose ho- hopefully one day Right, you know, right. That's a lot better position than losing day. three days. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. that's one way, you know, and mm-hmm. files that were in transmission, some things that was lost, mm-hmm. um, or um, in, in some cases before things were even identified, uh, there was one place uh, I did work with. They uh, 
used to always create with this one system, a an emergency backup tape mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that if anything happened, a cyberware, uh, yep. every night this tape was updated and it was separate from everything else. So that mm-hmm. that way they could always send this one file that had to go because you mm-hmm. talked about regulatory and compliance yep, yep, issues. Yep. They could still send by courier or put it in someone's car and go and, and take it and deliver it. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, they had they put that in place too, so that any event they would always still have something they could use, and that would be their latest set. Right, right that, and those are those are really important things, and 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 to really build on what you're saying is that when you actually are doing continuity planning, and you're really, especially if you're working with employees that have been there a while. Uh, and they actually have maybe had some of these issues come up before, really taking and capturing that those previous learnings from long ago, even that actually be able to correct those. Many of my clients that are in finance will do snapshots throughout the day. They'll actually save those on uh, on on independent drives uh, that are, again, not part of a network, because, as you probably well know, one of the first actions of any person who's launching a ransomware attack is the first thing they do is they encrypt the backups. Mm -hmm. So the backups are encrypted. And then that means you have to go to a, you know, a quarantined off the network backup. And for some people, as you well know, that's days, days. I mean, I've done, I've done um, cyber exercises with really large financial institutions that would have lost a week of data. Like how do you make up a week of data? You know, you might be able yeah. to think about through email, but a lot of transactions are just going on. Think of think of like uh, just processing uh, information. You would lose so much data. How could you make that up? How could you po- keep people whole? It'd be really tough. Right? Yeah. So I think this way of proving <clears throat> operational improvement, and especially when you're looking at how you're doing that operational improvement and you're tying it to really contemporary problems. So an executive would say like, oh, oh, I see now. If we had a ransomware attack, that means that we would be able to utilize these kinds of things in order to make sure that we were whole at the end. That's the kind of thing that really says, wow, you are providing us with tremendous value. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's when I know I'm like, yes, we're on it. This is a really important one as well, and that is the issue of knowledge capture. So, you know, I'm sure you've worked a lot of places where, you know, there's like one or two people that know everything, you know, like, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right? right. And you think to yourself, my God, if that guy gets hit by a bus tonight on the way home, we're in trouble, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> right. So. And that also is happening in a different way right now, because in many places around the world, a lot of people who are boomers are retiring or people Mm -hmm. that left uh, because of the pandemic. And when they walked out the door, everything that was in their head walked away with them. And in many cases, that was a lot of information. And that's scary because those people not are only familiar with the technology of today, they know how to do that same job without that technology. Yes, yes. So it's not only the brain going out the door, but part of your contingency is right. going out the door. Right. And a great example of that was <clears> when <throat> I worked with central banks around the world, and they'll say, you know, you need to be able to do these processes manually. And they look at them like, no way. But then it's like, okay, who was back here? At, who worked here in 1975 or 1980 when we were still doing spreadsheets? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. That person. How do you capture that knowledge? Which I know sounds completely crazy when you think about it, but it's not. 
It's not at all. So this is really important. I think business continuity provides us a great way to capture information for critical processes. If we had to go back to, you know, square one because of a ransomware attack or any other kinds of interruptions, that's really important. Uh, last, last, almost lastly, the issue of increased robustness, because you have an effective BCM program, you have strengthened the organization, prepared them for disruptions, but also you are also providing increased knowledge. Every time you do an exercise, every time you redo a plan, you are de deepening the knowledge, you're increasing people's skills. That means that they can deal with common problems much more effectively, and it never gets big because you did a good job in that last exercise or your planning process was really good and people got much better and they prevented the bad thing from happening. You know, that's the best thing we could ever ask for. And that happens with some routine nature when you have a really good program. So we are robust in our response on a daily basis and we never go to the bad thing, which is great. And then lastly, I will tell you is that I think what I've experienced in all my years of practice is that when you have an effective planning process, when you've got really good exercises, you deepen the knowledge. And I'm looking for deeper knowledge in a team. And that means that I can improve processes, even day-to-day -day things. I can make them better because we have dug a little bit deeper. We understood how it worked. Maybe we're going to refine little things here and there, and then it's better. That's all good. That is all good. Now, those are the eight things I've mentioned up to this point. That has nothing to do with ROI. It's the value that you provide every day. And what we fail as a, as a uh, profession is being able to articulate this in any meaningful way. And what we do is we struggle and we hem and haw, and then we fall on ROI, which is not what we do, to be honest. And we have five minutes left, believe it or not. I would believe that. Yes, I would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. So my 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 point to everybody is this, is that I think that once you've actually looked at, at what value you provide to the organization, then I think what you should be doing is really fully explore if there's anything else you should be doing as a program. You know, we've talked about all these things and hopefully you'll come up. I gave you eight. Hopefully you'll come up with eight more. And then the question is, is there anything we're not doing that we should be doing that would provide value? And then lastly, I want you to be able to articulate to me in about three sentences or less, what is the value you provide every single day? That is the biggest homework assignment I could give our audience today. Because what we are, this is my favorite way of looking at us, because of who we are, what we do for a living, we are like octopuses. We know the entire organization. We are in and out of every place because what do we do? We do all of these plans. We create these teams. We create the robust survival, recovery, resiliency of an organization. So therefore, we can break down silos because we know what so-and-so does, and maybe they don't know what the other guy does. We know that. Mm -hmm. They don't. We connect all the dots. We're involved with everybody. And so I ask our, our, our constituents, our, our, our fellow professionals, to think like an octopus because that's what you are. You're everywhere in the organization. The only person else that's similar to you is audit. That's it. And you change. You right. have to change and adapt like an octopus does as well. You have Absolutely. to change and adapt the coloring and what's around you. Very good. I like that. So um, I guess what I want to say in closing is this, is that if you want to be successful, you need to demonstrate that you are a person of value. And so I want you to think about what are all the overt ways that you do that, uh, which could be things like preparedness months, 
uh, any kind of exercises and planning. And then I want you to think about covert marketing. I think I've talked with you about this before, but how can you demonstrate covertly uh, about what you're doing all the time, by sending articles to executives about things you know that they're interested in, promoting this kind of stuff, kind of under the radar, uh, and that people just think about it all the time. So what I, I would find that interesting. I did that just a little while ago. Yeah, I love and that. Because uh, and uh, a lot of people people say don't send so and so things. You know, have it go through me. And I thought, well, no, because then I know it's never going there. So I right. sent it straight to this one person. And uh, he got back to me right away saying, well, this was interesting. Huh, I need to think that, about this. And the next thing I heard two days, two days later, it got back to me. He had asked somebody about a question and I was pulled into it too. And I thought, well, there we go. Now they're all aware. You told me not to do marketing. that, but I did it. <laughs> I love that. That's covert marketing. Yeah. That's perfect. I guess what I would say to you is that this is the homework assignment I have and in the minute or two we have left, which is this. I think it's critically important that every one of your listeners, everybody in our profession do three things. Get your team together. And if you don't have a team, borrow people and have the whiteboard conversation that I talked about. Secondarily, get your elevator speech together. That's about a two sentence or less. You know, essentially, what are the, what do you provide value in and talk about that so you can do that in five floors of an elevator when your executive says, what are you doing in this organization? It had better not be when the bad thing happens, you'll be glad I'm here. You should be able to talk about a bunch of value statements right straight away. And then I would ask all of us in this profession, start spreading the news. Value on investment is the way we need to speak about the great values we provide every single day. And on that note, we've come to the end of our show. Regina, thank you so much. You were talking about things that I am actually dealing with with a client right now. Yeah. So this is fantastic. And, you know, it was like, oh, I, yeah, that's, that's, I'm doing that. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Oh, oh, yeah, I was going to do it this way, but I like that way better. So, you know, this is, I, I really hope people paid attention to this. This was really good. I'm glad we finally, we, we, I'm glad we started with the end. Today, actually, we'll talk we about COVID next month. <laughs> yeah, we didn't even touch on it this week. I know, I know. Yay! So, thank you so much. This was really good. I, I really enjoyed this one. You're welcome. Well, I enjoyed them all. Always. Yeah, I enjoyed them all. This one is just happens to be exactly where I'm positioned right now. Timely. I like yeah, that. Very I like timely. Being timely. Yes. So, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. And to everybody watching and listening, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.